Thanks for listening to Middle Aged and Mediocre. I'm Cash. I'm Joel. And uh, we are a podcast about all things strange and unusual, death, UFOs, and other creepy, Cults. weird, random shows. There you go. Yeah. Not uh, just naming things in the room. Oh my god. There's a cult of ghosts. Episode 5, welcome to Middle Age and Mediocre, I'm hey, Cash, hey, I'm Joel, that's Joel, yep. he's excited, man, he's got the energy, it's it's up here, it's, it's up there, up there, I'm with, amped, he's amped, yeah, you can tell by how he said <laughs> amped, that he is amped, I'm amped, uh, so what's up, what's going on, oh dude, everything is so good, we actually have a lot to talk about, we do, we do, alright, a lot of stuff been going on, let's just get right into uh, it. There was a very, let's just get into the very weird comedy show that. <laughs> I forgot. I didn't forget you were there, but like I've talked about that. Oh my God. Because uh, I've been looking forward to talking about this. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Since it happened. I uh, want to thank you for coming and be the only person to come. I th- like voluntarily. I'm not sure if uh, those people got their money back, but if not, like I funded that show. <laughs> I hope they didn't, because fuck them. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if they got their money back or not. I don't think they did, but... Uh, but, know. so... I didn't get paid. I made sure Jacob and Stephanie got paid, but I told Morgan, I was like, I don't want paid for what just happened. <laughs> for the... Like, I would feel dirty. Like, that'd be like just... That'd be like just getting fucked, and then someone just like, you know, like, here's a dollar. Like, you know, like, no <laughs> amount of money would have made what went on, like, worth it to me. Like, it was just... It was so crushing. So Friday, Friday night, uh, Joel had a comedy show uh, downtown. Yep. There's a play. It's the Secrets of Nevermore or uh, Nights, Nights of Nevermore. Nevermore. Yeah, it's a place called Portico. Portico is it's a new in... spot downtown. It's a cool building. I it mean, really it is. has a lot of uh, potential. Yeah. It wasn't potential was not there Friday, but yeah, it's downtown where we live. Um, and I don't. So I kind of. Uh, they're going to have like that same Nevermore theme, like the Gothic, like yeah. Edgar Allan Poe. Because she has that. all that, yeah. Because all that stuff in there was hers, and she was really into it. And they're going to try to keep a a year round haunted house kind of deal, you know. But like, make it for the season, so it'll be like a Thanksgiving haunted oh, house, okay. and then like a, maybe a Valentine. That's what she was thinking anyway. Okay, so yeah, it's pretty neat. Like you go in, and um, there's like a whole back room area with like a bunch of animatronics. Yeah. Uh, so there was, per, you know, Halloween. It was very horror related. Uh, the stage so, looked great. Stage looked awesome. Had an awesome backdrop. Um, they were doing like uh, hand uh, palm readings. Yep, hand readings. Is hand readings. Palm readings in the back. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a cool setup. I liked it. It was uh-huh. very neat looking. Yeah. And uh, you said there were a little. There was like some. Um, We'll say lack of communication or miscommunication. Yeah, advertising. I think we all dropped the ball. I made the flyer, but I didn't print any. I didn't put any up. You know, like I was, I was approached to do the comedy at the show, so I made the flyer. And I kind of, they're 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 affiliated with the Actors Guild, so I just thought like, I don't know, they would like really, you know, promote it. They would, you know, well, especially I put with the, it being a new venue. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think there was very much promotion and. Like, I tried on Facebook, but that was it. I didn't put flyers up. You came. And then, like, yeah. basically, we were out in the street, like, 
yelling, comedy, come watch comedy. <laughs> and I was ready to cancel. I was just ready, like, we don't need to do this. Unfortunately, downtown isn't, like, bustling with yeah. people. We don't, yeah. live, we don't live in an area where downtown is. Yeah, you said one person come by every five, ten minutes. Yeah, and usually that person is uh, not in the best They're in a different world. Condition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I love be, you, buddy, but we were I wasn't gonna do a show for just you. I you know, I expected it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wanted all of the attention uh-huh. and focus on me for the comedy show. Uh but yeah, so right about the time the show starts, four people walk in. They um, they came in just wanting because the, they knew Morgan. So I heard her say, We don't want to stay, but we want to donate money to help support you. And Morgan talked him into staying. Oh, okay. Which is not a good comedy audience. That's the audience that has to be talked to. I didn't know stay. that part. Yeah. Because they, then they were like walking around the building and I was oh, like, well, can you have them like come sit up front at least so it seems like we had... I should have just left them in the back where they were wanting to sit. Yeah. Oh, man. I didn't know any of yeah. that. Yeah. So they didn't want to be there for that, but they, like they felt bad, I guess. So they stayed. So I'm going to kind of do this from my perspective. Okay. Okay. So uh, you get up. You're the host. So, you know, you, but you still do like 10 I did like 15, 15? 20 minutes, yeah. So, uh, just at one point during your set, again, only those, well, so only those four people. Yep. And then Jacob Hall and his Jacob wife Hall was here. Wife the headliner. Side, yep. And then you were sitting with Stephanie and her friend. And her person. The other comedian, Stephanie, and the person she brought. And then the. The lady that does the palm readings. Yep. And Carol lady. was there, and the guy running the whatever kind of food was there. So there's two, four, eight, ten. Yeah, it's a total. I mean, about you know, fifteen people yeah. of an audience, kind of, in a room that can hold about five hundred, probably. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> we're sitting there, and I'm, you know, you're in, you're doing your set, and then all of a sudden, one of the girls that are with the four people uh-huh. gets up, gets up, and just. I don't know if she's And that stage it. is like waist high. And she just like hopped right she up on it. on stage yep. with you. I don't know if she says anything to you, but she, she did. kisses you. She goes, I'm going to hug you. I'm going to hug you. Yeah, and I was like, huh? She kisses you. She kissed me on my cheek. Cheek. Yep. Okay, and then. And I tried to, you know, normally like two years ago, that probably would have froze me right there in my, in my tracks. But I made a joke about how we were married now. Yeah. And that's the most action I've had in years. And So I realized once she does that and sits back down i realized i used to work with that girl uh-huh. uh at a place i used to work and she's like from what i can remember uh super laid back hippie she seemed chick. like it um, she had toboggan on inside that's yeah hippie shit and she real. was i think with the other girl yeah. Then I think the two guys were together. Yeah. From what I can tell. I think that's what it was. Well, so the one guy. Well, it turns out they were playing Spin the Bottle, too. I don't know if you caught that. And that's why you got. That's yeah. Because I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, oh, we're playing Spin the Bottle. And I was like, they're in the comedy show. You're playing Spin. Okay, cool. 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 So one of the guys is like heckling. Yeah. Which, not like heckling in a, in a, in a packed show uh-huh. is already an annoying thing. But, like, at least you hope that you can just go ahead and be like, all right, well, I get to target you now. And yeah. the whole crowd's going to laugh at you. Yeah. But when, like, when there's only one real table <laughs> yeah. of people that don't you don't know, yeah. and one of them's heckling you, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. So. And, like, I kept wanting to talk to them because they were the only, like, table of, you know, like, people that hadn't seen my jokes. Yeah. Pretty much. So you get heckled. He and- called one of my jokes racist. Yeah, which it wasn't racist. No, it wasn't like at all. Just because you said a, I, I used I said the word Asian. 
Yeah. So that made it racist. Just because you, yeah, that that's not racism. Just because you said the so word. These people Asian. are wanting to be like, oh, dude, they're they, wanting to be offended. I think right off the bat, you can just look at them and tell that they are like the upper, like like upper middle class. They seemed just white, annoying yeah. fucking people. Uh huh. Just yeah, they the worst live to be offended. Yeah, live for yeah. it. Uh, they're offended if they're not offended, and you know if so. You know, like I said, I think the two guys are together. The two girls are together. So I am sure. Coming up through their life and their experience they've had, I am sure they have faced actual bigotry yeah. and whatever. But that does not mean everybody in the world yeah. is out to offend them sure. and try to demean them. I was trying to use my bad jokes to, you know, lighten their mood. And you said the word Asian. Yep. And that was racist. <laughs> so whatever. So you and like I had to defend myself on stage too because you was like that's racist and I was like Skr! I was like how is that racist yeah well so then Stephanie goes up yep and uh, Stephanie's got a bit where she's talking about like she's kind of going through her past uh, her recent dating history mm-hmm. and she and they're heckling her the whole time too yeah like the whole time they're heckling, yeah. the one guy is heckling her yeah and being a dick like not even like a f- like I guess there's like just a, he thinks he was superior to all of us and just yeah you know I mean just, he had like he had no hair but the little bit that he did was kind of frosty yeah and he had one of those puffy vests on yeah so he was clearly better than everybody yeah else clearly yeah yeah and some people they they can't watch other people talk they like or they can't sit there and listen to other people talk no. they have to they have to inject themselves yeah. Because they'll disappear if not. They have to make sure that everyone knows that they're there. He seemed awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So Stephanie does uh, the bit about her her recent relationships, Uh and she like kind of you know the way she's kind of wrapping it up is how she ended up with a girl. She woke up the next morning with the girl in her bed, and uh, bad like something. The whole thing left a bad taste in her mouth. Yeah. Double entendre. So like you know just. Of getting too drunk, and then she woke up with a girl in bed, so she probably went down on her. So we hear, oh, now it's gay jokes. Yeah. That's it. We're done. We're out. And they all get up and go to leave, and the one girl, the girl, the girl that I don't know, comes back They're, over like, camped and- out the door first. Like, the guy's standing there just, like, trying to look like a badass at the door or something, you know? It's like, just fucking go, dude. Like, But the one girl comes back and goes, uh, by the way... Lesbians taste great. No, she said, lesbians don't taste bad. <laughs> like, that's not what the joke was. Yeah, like, no, like, you people, fucking dunce. people taste bad, okay? Like, lesbians are you people. You fucking idiot. And people can be sweaty, and they can be, like, just gross and moist. But also, it's the one person in the joke yeah. that Stephanie was was saying. Yeah. Was, was she making, didn't say all lesbians. Was making the joke uh-huh. about. Like, yeah. it's not like she was, yeah. But yeah, but she was like almost crying because of it. Yeah, they yeah. were so offended. Yeah, like I would love to spend a day with them to see <laughs> just how hard their lives are. Like, but uh, so it was yeah, and then like you said, the one guy just stands there. Yeah, like I don't know what he was trying to do. I don't know if he was like thought he was being intimidating. He wasn't. <laughs> like you know, until he tried to like actually step up on stage. Yeah, who gives a shit? Yeah, but like I'm like you're not doing anything to anyone here, bud. Like it's, it was just. And then, so they left, and, you know, Stephanie got through her set, but Jacob was really funny, so that was yeah. one good, you know, thing about the night was, of course, Jacob Hall is always funny, but... But just what a random... Yeah. Just people, like like you said, they, And that's one of my favorite things to say now. Lesbians don't taste bad! 
Like, that's, yeah, oh my god, like, imagine if you're an actual, like, if you're a comedian that actually tells, like, what is, like, offensive material. Yeah. Imagine the shit. Like Dave Chappelle with trans people. Like, I mean, that's okay. Like, yeah, people get mad about, I think that's what it is. Just now that's out in the public that, like, if a comedian says something that you don't like, and I'm not saying Dave Chappelle is right or wrong or whatever, you know, like, I would never, you know, do bits about trans people and stuff because I just, I don't know. It's not me. But every comedian is different. I think, you know, some of his stuff is funny and I can see where some of it could be taken the wrong way. But now it's just, oh, you don't agree with what somebody said, so they're wrong and you have a right. To tell them they're wrong. And, like, not just, just leave. If you don't like it, just leave. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you go through your, your day wanting to be offended. Yeah. I don't understand that. And one of the people from our group, we were talking about it afterwards, and she's like, she clearly has a stinky coochie. <laughs> and I said, hey, if the shoe fits, wash that motherfucker. <laughs> wash it. Douche it. Whatever you gotta do. Douche it. <laughs> yeah, like, she was definitely projecting, I think. So, you know, those people aren't listening to this, but I, w- I really wish they yeah, were. I did talk about the podcast, and so maybe they are. Maybe, like, you know what? I'm going to give this guy another chance. Oh, maybe. I don't think that's what Well, the gr- then I gave the girl one of my Juicy Peach yeah. stickers, and I just found it out on the sidewalk after the show. Oh. And that, I think. Well, that's what hurts the I most. haven't recovered from that. I think that hurts more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. Like, she was all excited about it, talking about where she's going to put her Juicy Peach sticker. Like, I heard her talking about it. And then she just. Yeah, like, I can't believe, like. Like, have thick skin. Like, how many jokes are there about, like, which I guess we deserve, like, fat white dudes or, you know, just, like, white dudes in general? Yeah. And it's, like, it's not even, it wasn't even, like, aimed at, and Stephanie's bisexual, so why can't she joke about it? Right, right. Comedy! I can't imagine that girl is hanging out with, like, I don't know how she's hanging out with those people. Yeah, she didn't. She's such. She was the girl that came up on stage, even though that was wildly inappropriate to come up on stage and hug and kiss me. Yeah, like she does seem like she might be fun at a party. No, she just came up. She's like, "I'm gonna hug you." And then she she approached me me like I was a grizzly bear. So I feel like (laughs) she was like (laughs) she was like moving real slow, so not to startle me. She's like, "I'm gonna hug you." Yeah, yeah. So I feel like you know that was unneeded. Yeah. So yeah, that was a blow to the old ego. Uh, but you know, hey, that's that's what happens, man. You it's never just, know what's gonna happen. Yeah, I, at least we got that story. Makes for a good story. Yep, and lesbians don't taste bad. And you know, lesbians. You know, don't I should have been like, prove it. <laughs> and I would have went over well. <laughs> like, are you cannibal? Like, I don't understand. Like, what the what the fuck? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was an interesting experience. Um, I for some, I think though, like. Seems like most shows I go to you with, uh-huh. there ends up being some asshole from the crowd, and I don't know if that's a normal experience for you. Yeah, pretty much. Is it? <laughs> yeah, okay. There's always a. Yeah, I was definitely like, because that was like an entitled asshole. Like sometimes some people are just assholes because, like I said, they can't stand to not talk for like that long a time. Yeah, you know? they can't just sit there and listen for that long. Their brain, like their little lizard brain, just like you know, like. Starts like sounding off alarms, and they gotta talk. They gotta like ah inject themselves. Now, what I would love to be able to do, if I had one wish, it would be to go ahead and listen to how those people tell this story. Oh yeah, from their perspective, victim. They're victimized. I would love to hear. Fuck. I kept kind of looking online to like. Oh yeah, I thought about that. I wonder if someone's gonna post up online about it. Kind of like searching for like the the venue's name. Because like the next night they had a drag show, Mm -hmm. so I oh they're a drag show, but they're they hate gays. 
It's like, nah, man. Like, we like so, jokes. You don't know if they ever talked to. Uh, I haven't talked to anybody. I I tried to distance myself immediately. I left <laughs> that night, and I was like, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to think about this ever again. Well, I'm glad I can bring it. Yeah, up. I'm glad you brought it up. No Thank problem. you. Uh, well, in news. Okay. I have a story. I have a news story. All right. Um, and have you ever seen the movie Taken? Taken one, With, taken two, uh, or taken three? Uh, the first. I've only seen the first one. Okay, so. I've seen all three. Okay, well, so, yeah. you are an aficionado. I am. Uh, so, and then I seen the one where it was taken in the snow. <laughs> yeah. It has a different name, but it was basically like, what if we had taken? But he was in the snow. And Liam Neeson's like, I don't know. And they're like, we'll give you $50 million. He's like, give me back my daughter. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this was just posted, uh, what's today? Today's the, sec- the third. So this was posted yesterday, the second. Uh, headline, father accused of killing daughter's boyfriend for allegedly selling her to sex trafficking ring. Okay. Well, That's I mean, the premise of Taken, right? So far, I'm on the dad's side. So this is out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, officers arrested a man accused of killing his daughter's boyfriend and leaving his body in the trunk of a car, according to Spokane Police well, What are you supposed to do with a body? <laughs> Got me. Beats me. Uh, police say John Eisenman, age 60, learned in October 2020 uh, that his daughter's boyfriend may have been responsible for allegedly selling her to a sex trafficking organization. Eisenman was able to rescue his daughter. Uh, this is where it gave me the real taken vibes. Uh-huh. Like he rescued his daughter, yeah. and got her back. To the he Spokane. has a certain set of skills. He has a certain. It doesn't really say how he did it. Okay, which I'd like to know more in depth of what he did <laughs> to rescue her. Uh, according to police, Eisenman confronted his daughter's 19-year-old bro- boyfriend in November of 2020, tied him up, and put him in the trunk of a car. Police say he hit the man in the head with a cinder block Ooh. and stabbed him repeatedly, causing his death. I don't do it. Eisenman is accused of abandoning the vehicle with the body still inside in a remote area. The car stayed in that location until someone moved it in October 2021. Damn, almost a year in later. A different place. The smell of that car. Oh, man. So then some people found the car, uh, were rummaging through it, took things from the car, uh-huh. and called police to report a foul odor coming from the trunk. Responding officers were able to verify the human remains. Uh, and then Eisenman was arrested and charged with first-degree murder in connection to this case. So, yeah, some real taken shit there. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going to work out for him quite the way he did for Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, he, I he, feel he, like Liam Neeson got off with... Uh, well, now he's got to keep an eye on his wife, because his wife is next if it goes by the taken. Oh, okay. The wife gets taken in the second one, and she killed. But I don't think uh, Liam Neeson's character goes to prison. No. I'm pretty sure this guy's going to prison. Oh, yeah. That guy's so if his wife prison. gets taken, Nick. So is his girlfriend, is his daughter missing then? Is his daughter he rescued like. rescued her. Oh, you rescued her. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. And then he found the guy yep. that allegedly sold her to sex trafficking yeah. organization and murdered her. I mean, the daughter would probably know who sold her into it, so she yeah. probably told daddy. Yeah, so really, you know. I'd like to know more of the details. Uh huh. Like, was she actually in a sex trafficking organization? Uh, or did she just like the fuck? Did she just like, was the guy a piece of shit? Yeah. And she was like, hey, by the way, he did this, and you should like beat him up for me. Yeah. And the guy's like a cinder block to the head. Yeah. Like, stab, stab, stab. <laughs> or just scare him. Scare him. I feel like cinder block to the head did the work for I you. think that, yeah. I don't think you needed the stabbing. No. I think cinder block to the head. And well, the stabbing is the, the emotional part of it. That's good point. That's where, like,. Yeah. You know, probably all the, the months of worrying about the his rage. daughter. Yep, the rage. Or his particular set of skills is just... <laughs> just the stabbing. Stab, yeah. stab, stab. <laughs> <laughs> like, he is not... He doesn't have a wide array, uh-huh. array of skills. But there's certain. Just two. <laughs> two. He's real good at them. Cinder <laughs> so uh, block stab. It's a combo. <laughs> it's not a bad combo, really. 
Uh, it works in Street Fighter. God, to be hit in the head with a fucking center block. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would I would want you to stab me afterwards. Like, just fucking kill me now. Cause I, the headache that I have. Right <laughs> Distract now, me I'm from that. Like, I'm real woozy. Fill me with holes. Uh... So yeah, I wanted to go over a couple things uh, for the related to the podcast cast. Cast. I found out. So I don't know how many of you guys out there. I don't think there are many of you, um, but I think a, a couple listen to us on Spotify. Uh, but now that Anchor is a part of Spotify, Anchor. That's what we're on. That's what we're on. Yeah. Because uh, they are now technically Anchor by Spotify. Oh. Um, I haven't received my check for that yet. I haven't either. Come on, Anchor. Uh, they let us add questions to each episode. Um, they let us do like a uh, an overall episode, like cute, like episode specific questions. So, can you put like, "Is Joel a good boy?" Yeah, I can, okay. I can do that this episode. Do that. I'll do that. Okay. Okay. If and, you uh, please tell me I'm good, <laughs> please. Well, I'll just make so. But I need also, it. So, I need it so bad. So, along with the Q and A, you know, we can also do an episode poll. We can do both. So I'll put on there as Joel, good boy, okay. and then the only options will be yes and yes. Yes. So I feel like that way. <laughs> Please, yes. So, uh, I already so, feel a little bit better. But so if you listen to us on Spotify, um, I kind of looked, and I think it's pretty simple. I think it's right there on the episode. You can just go and find the poll. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's right there. The first one we did, though, was uh, the poll was, uh, do you want a couple of horror movie review episodes on top of the regular episodes this month? No one voted, so I don't think anybody even knows, because this was a no. brand new feature. Uh, and then the question was, do you have a preference between newer, more modern stories, or older true crime stories that may have gotten lost over time? Uh-huh. No one answered that. If you're listening to this, though, I would like an answer to that. Yeah. Like, you don't have to do it on Spotify. You can leave us a comment. But what Wrap do it around you the break, throw it through the window. Stab us. Stab us. <laughs> Stab us in a pattern that spells out the answer. answer. <laughs> yeah, like, do you guys, so, like, everybody listening, you know, would you prefer us I like to the do, real crime. I'd like to do another one. Like, oh, like, the real, we'll, we'll definitely do more of the real yeah. crime stuff. But, like, do you prefer to hear, like, the newer, like, more, uh, like, uh, current true crime type stuff? Or would you, do you like the older true crime stuff that, you know, may have got lost? Uh, then the if it's s- lost, how are we going to find it? I'll dig. Oh, you'll dig? I'll dig. Okay. Uh, dig through the ditches and burn. Through the then, uh, so then we did the Real Crimes episode uh-huh. about the the Camp Crystal Lake murders. Yeah. Um, which, so you know the uh, the famous uh, sound from the Friday the 13th movies? <laughs> you know what that? you know what that's actually saying? Yeah, it's uh, Help Mommy or something Close. like that. It's So it's, spo- it's supposedly... Kill, 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 mom, mom, yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never knew that. I always thought it was just like. Yeah, the sound engineer, like, because he, she, he, like, how the mom talks to herself, like, yeah. in Jason's voice, she kind of took that. and Yeah. And that's how they wanted you to know that, like, it was the killer watching the kids because it would always do that when the killer would. And for Halloween on a sidebar, I was Jason. I set my speakers up and I had, like, the, the, like, that three minute, like, interlude, like, on repeat <laughs> playing on my porch yeah like the music the friday 13th jason cool. music i scared a bunch of kids it was really <laughs> fun you? yeah 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 I'll show them uh, i hope i scarred him for just a long time so uh our question on that one was do you think pamela Voorhees was acting on her own or was jason a co-conspirator yeah no one answered <laughs> but we did do a, a poll on that one and uh the poll is who's the true horror icon Options, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, 
Freddy Krueger, Jigsaw, Pinhead, Leatherface. Yeah. You clearly would go Jason. Jason and They're Jason. all icons, but. Jason won. Good. With uh, two votes. Ah, good. So both votes, 100% of the votes went to Jason. Uh, That's ex- a landslide. Exorcism of Latoya Ammons episode. Uh, we asked, do you believe in demons? We had one person answer emphatically, yes. Yo. So one person out there is just constantly looking around for demons, I yeah. think. They're terrified. Then, lastly, uh, the last episode we have, favorite trick-or-treat candy. Uh, the options were Snickers, Reese's Cups, Skittles, Starburst, Sour Patch Kids. Mm. What, was, what would you do? I'd do Smarties. I like the little Well, I mean, of I'm in of the five. Okay. Uh, Skittles, then. <laughs> Skittles. Yeah. So, Snickers, Reese's Cups, and Skittles all got one vote. All right. Which I'm kind of surprised. I thought more people would go for uh, Sour Patch Kids. That seems like the... I thing a lot of people like, but Skittles. Uh, so yeah, uh, you guys look out for that on like this episode. The question I've we already we already know the question for this one. Yeah, is Joel a good boy? <laughs> so <laughs> you will have two options. There'll be yes and yes. Yes, or definitely yes. Uh, but then we may also add a Q and A question to where we'll ask you just like your feedback or something. Yeah. So yeah, check that out. Uh, Tell us what you want to hear. Anchor and Spotify are adding new features all the time. So check that stuff out. If you are listening on Apple Podcast. Go ahead and leave us a review. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us a five star rating because that would be awesome, and it helps the uh, the analytics and the, uh, the algorithm. algorithm yeah, and a bunch of things that I don't understand. I just know that. And if you don't understand it, there's no chance I understand it. I just know that we need more. Uh, <laughs> we we want to grow this. We thing, need more so. listens, people. I feel like we're uh, we're halfway decent. But all right, let's uh, let's do an ad break. Okay, we'll be right back, and we'll get into this week's story. Which is the story of Dr. Satan. Oh, it wasn't about the Taken thing? I thought that was the story. It was a quick one. No, that was just a little... There's more. That was just a little news clipping. Well, stick around! No, we're going to get into the story of Dr. Satan. Okay. Dr. Satan! Alright. So, like I said, today's episode is all about Dr. Satan. Uh, this one's going to be fun because I get to use uh, a French accent Ooh. quite a bit. So, oui, oui. Uh, this should be interesting. We'll see how this so goes. So this is like the Rob Zombie House of a Thousand Corpses, Dr. Satan? No. Um, I don't know if uh, Rob Zombie knows about this guy. And that's why uh-huh. he named him after that. Or if there was another inspiration for that Dr. Satan. But no, this is about... Can you like splice in Chris... Uh, what's that guy's name? Chris... Chris... Head... He hosts everything. Yeah. Um, we just splice in where he goes, Dr. Satan! Yeah. Let me see. Hardwick. If, uh, Chris Hardwick. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Satan Inspiration. Um, yeah, this is. Okay, so he. This is the influence for that okay. character. Uh, Good movie. Yeah, so. Yeah, I love House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, so this is uh, about Marcel Andre Henry Felix Petiot. That's too many names. Yeah, he's got... Like, whittle that shit down. Names. You need, like, two. So we're going to call him... Fuck a middle uh, name. Dr. Petiot. Okay. He was born on January 17th, 1897. So we're going back ago. a ways. Okay. In the town of Osir, uh, in the winemaking county of Burgundy. He was his parents' first child, and for 12 years, until the birth of his brother, Maurice, he remained the only one. Uh, Felix and Clemence Petiot were both postal workers... She sorted the mail and laid telephone line, and he laid telephone lines and installed telephone exchanges. Imagine how 
much of a pain in the ass it used to be to call somebody. Yeah. Where you had to, like, call. The operator. And then an operator put you through. And then the operator probably listened to your calls. Oh, definitely. I would. <laughs> I was the operator. But what are these motherfuckers going to talk about? Uh, his work often took him away from home. A three-story terrace house at number 100, Rue de Paris. Uh, Osser's Main Street. When Marcel, a beautiful, bright, lovable, loving child with wavy black hair and black eyes... Which I think right there is the first sign, uh, throw that baby away. Ah. It's got black eyes. Yeah. So we don't need that around. No. Uh, when he was two, Clem- uh, Clements decided that she wanted to accompany her husband on his trips. The boy was therefore sent to live with Clement- Clements' elder sister, Henriette Bourdon. Uh, Bourdon was a spinster, and she shared a home with Marie Gaston, also a spinster, spinster and described as Bourdon's maid. Uh, lover is what I would say, probably Ooh, more yeah. than likely. But yeah, so this kid's already cleaned up his loads. At two years old, just like thrown to the, somebody else. Yeah. So. Uh, the two women knew nothing about bringing up a child, especially not one as lively and inquisitive as their char as uh, Marcel turned out to be. Over the years, they would tell stories about him. They said he sulked, he threw tantrums, he pulled their hair, he bit them, he trampled on the flowers in the garden, he impaled insects on knitting knives, ne- needles. He imprisoned tiny birds and did not feed them so that he could watch them die of starvation. Uh, though some days he did let a bird go free, but not before he had stuck pins into its eyes to blind it. Oh. So. Just a great kid. You know, again, <laughs> black eyes, all of this. Yeah. Throw them in a river. Uh, I uh, Don't need that kid. No. Um, Too many names. He also smothered his cat. Uh, after he had unsuccessfully tried to drown it in boiling water. Jesus. They also said that he was incontinent of both the bladder and bowel. So he's just like shitting and pissing himself. Shitting everywhere. Fucking with animals. Yeah. Doing awful things. Uh, later in life, as an adult, Petiot had things to say about the two spinsters as well. He said that whenever they thought he had been naughty, uh, they dragged him off to early morning mass, and they kept the garden gate locked at all times. Uh, those early morning masses would turn him into an atheist. When the prison chaplain offered him the last rites on the morning of his execution, he turned... Oh, by the way, he gets executed. Okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, he he turned, doesn't turn it around? He turned it down with the words, No, thank you. I am an infidel. Uh, as for the locked gate, he never locked a door, or at least he only ever locked one door, the front door of the Paris townhouse where he murders unsuspecting victims. It makes me think of uh, the Friday after next where the guy was like, I told you I don't like locked doors. Okay. I haven't seen Friday after next in it's so like long. It's like a Mexican-Spanish guy. So that's why it was the awful accent. I apologize. <laughs> I'm still a good boy, okay? It's from a movie. That's just what it made me think of. Okay. All right. Uh, so Pettyot had his first brush with the law at the age of 17, two years after his mother died of cancer at age 36. Uh, he was caught stealing letters from mailboxes. He'd made kind of a fishing rod, a stick with the glue at one end, and he would nab the letters with it. So, you know. That seems like wet. You have to still get close. They just reach in there and grab that shit. Over, grab it real quick. Yeah. Uh, uh, police thought he was looking for money or money orders that he could cash. Uh, a child psychologist examined him and diagnosed hereditary mental problems. He's 17. Okay, it's a little late for a child psychologist. Yeah. Uh, Felix Pettiot, his father, was furious. There is no insanity in the Pettyot family, and neither is there in the Bourdon family. Yeah. Defending his son in a backhanded way. So he was like, look, yeah, he may be putting needles in birds' eyes. If it's crazy to put needles in birds' eyes, then I guess I'm insane, too. Lock us up. Yeah. Uh, Psychologist's diagnosis of mental problems saved the teenage Pettyot 
from reform school, but as his own school expelled him, he continued to study at home for his uh, bachelorette school leaving diploma. Uh, within two years, he received it with the mark of honors. Proudly, he announced to his father that he wanted to study medicine. Felix laughed in his son's face. He believed his son would never amount to anything in life, uh, but World War I was raging and the teenager, who was patriotic, enrolled. Later, he would make certain that everyone understood that he had not wait that he had not waited to be called up like a coward, but that he had enrolled. Pettyot's military career was turbulent. He spent most of it the years from 1915 to 1921 in mental asylums, and he even did a stint in prison for having stolen army-issued blankets from one of the asylums. His mental problems resurfaced when he was hospitalized for a shrapnel wound. Was in it his a cover-up with the blankets? Cover. Mm. Blankets. Mm-hmm. I'm a good boy. <laughs> I see what happened there. Uh, Sorry. At the beginning of 1922, Pettyot arrived back in Alsir. He had good news for his family. He was no longer just plain Monsieur Pettyot. He was Monsieur Le Docteur Pettyot. Oh. A physician. Uh, he did not show them a medical diploma, only a letter from the Paris medical faculty attesting that he had passed his medical thesis with honors. Up to this day, it remains a mystery how he could have studied medicine when he was in and out of mental asylum yeah. from 1915 to 1921. Yeah, the hands-on education. Yes. Uh, even if he had benefited from the shortened and accelerated study programs, which had been made available to ex-servicemen, it would have still been hard, if not impossible, for him or anyone else to obtain a medical degree in just sh- short of two years. Uh, in 1919... But, I mean, it was that... How much of medicine they know in 1919. Right. Plus, like... Like, you're born, you're dead. You know that, you're a doctor. I can't imagine it would have been too difficult to fake... Yeah. ...documents like that back then. Yeah. I mean, um, if you can drown a cat in boiling water, you can fake a medical document. And if you document. can rig up a fishing pole to take... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can fake a document, no problem. That's some Dennis the Menace shit yes. right there. Uh, in 1919, he had still been in the army. In 1920, he'd been institutionalized in a mental asylum in the town of Orleans. Yet, if he was if he was to be believed in December 1921, he was a medical graduate. All right, turn it around. <laughs> He's uh, a good boy, Doctor Petiot, now 26, opened a practice in the village of Villanueva Serrion, which is uh, basically just saying that it's a uh, Villanueva on the Yon River. Okay. I don't know why they got to get all fancy with it. Because <laughs> it's French, man. You can't just... In 19- you got to French it up. In 1923, it was home to 2,000 rural people who lived in centuries-old stone houses. Uh, with his dark hair, dark eyes, and a beauty spot on his right cheek, he was a good-looking man. Such looks, he actually kind of looked like uh, Johnny Depp, Oh. made him an instant success in the village. He also quickly earned the reputation of being a brilliant doctor. <laughs> His, parent, his patients said that he knew what was wrong with them before they had even described their symptoms. He would say, you were treated by a stupid ass before, but you don't have to say another word, as I know exactly what is ailing you. Within a, I've stolen your mail. <laughs> I've stolen your mail. I've read it. Thing. Within days, a patient would feel better. Uh, one such patient was Frascal, Frascal. Owner, owner of the local bistro. Frascal suffered from rheumatoid arthritis. He said that for the first time in years, he was able to walk upright again after seeing Petiol. Uh, I bet he was just giving everyone cocaine. That's my guess, actually. Yeah. Like, back then, that was like the answer. Like, Here, take yeah. a little bit of coke. Yeah. And- uh, Petiot took a lover, uh, Louise Delavoux. 
She told a friend in the village that she was pregnant, but that Petiot wanted to perform an abortion on her. Uh, Luis disappeared mysteriously. Huh. When the headless body of a woman was fished from the Yon River, the villager said it was Delavu's body and that Petiot had done her in. The local members of the military, militarized police, though, who are responsible for policing countryside areas, did not investigate. It uh, said that there was just not enough of, evidence. That's a lot of work. Like, look, I mean, a lot of work. Nobody's came and said that they did it, so that's, <laughs> yeah. we don't have the evidence for this. Uh, despite the rumors of murdering his uh, lover, uh, he ran a successful campaign for mayor. Once in the town hall, he decided that he needed a wife. He found her, the 23-year-old petite, elegant Georgette Labla. Lablace, I don't know how you say it. Blah, 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 blah. It's the same with all you broads. Her father, Georges, uh, was a successful Paris restaurateur nicknamed Longarm, <laughs> which I really hope he, which they explain why, yeah. but I really would rather imagine that he just has one real long yeah. uh-huh. arm like down to his Or knees. maybe one really short arm, so they don't want to so like draw attention to that. So they're like, that arm's not short. What do you mean to say? Yeah, the glass <laughs> isn't half full. You have one long arm. I'm going to start saying that. <laughs> You know, I'm more of a one long arm kind of guy. <laughs> like the one of the one of the animatronics at the uh, the show Friday I had the guy with the little yeah he, he didn't have the one little, little arm. arm he had one long he had arm one big arm yeah uh, it happens so uh, so basically he would always he basically uh, was called long arm because there was a saying called uh, where you would say my arm is long and it means that you have clout. I don't know why. Oh, you have a lot of reach. There you go. Yeah. Look at you. I get it. Look at you solving French. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Solve this case. So, ten months after P- Petty They call me Long Leg. Because mm. my little dick makes my legs look long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Daddy, Daddy Long Leg. Ladies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ten months. My after- little button dick. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> You don't have to touch it. I know it's out, but come on. Just ignore it. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Uh, so ten months after Petty it's average, okay. met uh, Georgette, they, on April 19th, 1928, the couple's only child, Gerhardt Claude George Felix, again, They're just one, two, three, names. four names, was born. Uh, then one night, a fire broke out at a local dairy. On the premises lived the owners, the Debeuves. When flames were first seen shooting from the roof of the couple's home, Montser Debeuve was having a drink at Frascault's Bistro. Uh, All his names are funny to me. I just can't help it. I am such a West Virginia hillbilly. Uh, Henriette, uh, the wife of Montser Debeuve, was home cooking dinner. When firefighters entered the burning house, they found her lifeless body lying on the kitchen floor. She had obviously been murdered. Her head was bashed in. Again, the local police did not believe that he could be successfully, that he could successfully investigate this murder. Yeah. I just, he doesn't believe in himself. He didn't see anyone there. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. It is 1919. Uh, Then all of a sudden, uh, Frascott, who was uh, the bistro, he died suddenly. He collapsed after Petiot had given him a shot for a reoccurring bout of his rheumatoid arthritis. Was it a shot to the heart? He's to bl- pes- Did he feel pain? He's to blame. Yeah. <laughs> he gave love a bad name. Uh, 
Frascott had told his patrons that he knew who had bashed Henriette de Beauve. Her head in, it was Dr. Pettiot. According to Frasco, the doctor and Henriette had been lovers. In 1933, the three Pettiots moved to Paris. The doctor left a string of accusations and court appearances on charges of theft behind in the former hometown. Uh, he'd been stealing from the town's town hall's coffers. In Paris, he quickly built up a, a prosperous practice, however. He had made certain that it would be so. On his arrival in the capital, he had distributed leaflets in which he made the most incredible claims. He advertised a fleet of ambulances and every modern item of medical equipment one could think of. He said he could cure all mental illnesses. He could cure cancer. He had a revolutionary treatment for all gynecological and drug problems. Oh, his treatment for gynecological ills was this abor- dick. was abortion. <laughs> oh, okay. His treatment for drug addiction was to give the user whatever drug they craved. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of the old smoke the whole pack of cigarettes. That's why thing. they killed him. They couldn't have someone out there like that. Uh, with his ra- waiting room each day filled with patients and search of treatments, he soon was able to afford to invest in real estate. He even bought an entire apartment building where he had 21 tenants. So really, I mean... He's like a, I mean, he's basically a modern pharmacist like, uh-huh. or drug drug salesman. Like, it's not that much different from the people that go around selling really Oxycontin not, yeah, and shit. Like, yeah. yeah, hey, we got this shit that you really like. It'll fuck you up forever, yeah. probably. But It'll probably get addicted to it and ruin your life. Yeah, but, man. we're all drug dealers. It'll feel uh, good. So in September 1939, France and Britain declared war on Nazi Germany. Don't know if you ever heard of World War II or not, but that was happening. I, I don't know much about the first one, so I didn't want to get into the second one, you know, because right. I was afraid I couldn't follow it. Right. Yeah. I didn't want to get lost. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the French government have, had fled. Hitler annexed that part of France that bordered Germany and handed the area bordering Italy over to Benito Mussolini, his ally in Rome. While he divided what was left of the country into a northern occupied zone and a southern theoretically free zone named Vichy France. After the new capital, the spa town, Vichy. Uh, the northern spaghetti? zone, spaghetti, which included Paris, became known as occupied France. The defeated French army was reduced to peacekeeping under German control, and the police uh, abandoned their, uh, abandoned their uh, whatever to take orders from the Gestapo. In fact, the entire French legal machine abandoned its, its, uh, to swear allegiance to Hitler. While many Parisians fled the city and its new rulers, the Petiots remained behind. The doctor was uh, anti-German, but because of his World War I injury, he would not be mobilized to fight. He told his family that he would never let them suffer because of the war. He would provide for them. He'd already had a bike, and now he bought a cart. So he had a bunch of ambulances is what he said, but he actually just had a, a bike, bike and a cart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gasoline was being rationed, and a man needed a cart to get his black market purchases home. He also bought a large townhouse in Paris's elegant 16th uh, section, the uh, Champs-Élysées, a stone's throw away. Real estate had become bargain buys because those fleeing needed cash. Yeah, I guess that would be a real... Yeah, <laughs> buyer's market. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that the house at number 21, Rue Le Cyr, was quite dilapidated. It had stood an uninhabited for a few years. Did not bother him. He could afford to have renovations work done. Uh, the renovation work consisted of adding several feet to the property's back wall, converting an outhouse into a doctor's surgery room, and transforming another outhouse into a small triangular chamber. 
He asked the builders he had hired to, to do the work to cover one of the chamber walls with a fake padded door. Nothing. Oh, yeah. You know, weird about that. No. Uh, to fasten large metal rings to a second wall. Okay. And to insert a glass peephole in the third. Normal totally stuff. Totally normal. Yeah. Doctor things. Doctor stuff. I don't get it. I'm not a doctor. Look, we're just builders. Of things. Yeah. You know, you doctors, <laughs> you do you. I mean, you got like six names. You got to know what you're talking about. Uh, he planned to open a mental asylum was the explanation he gave for the stranger quests. As he would be giving electroshock treatment, he explained further the padded door was necessary to soundproof the room uh-huh. of the uh, or the cries of his patients would disturb the neighbors. You don't want that. The rings were for hanging equipment, <laughs> and he needed to make sure that nothing went wrong during the treatments, so that way he won't, he could see through. Oh, you know, all makes, makes sense. sense. All checks out. Uh, Georgette Petiot did not like the idea of her husband opening a mental clinic, which I don't. He really wasn't though. So. <laughs> uh, he had, as she told him, enough work as it was. If you do, Gerhardt. I, or Gerhardt and I will never see you, she said. She loved her husband dearly. And he's like, that's the idea, Wink. <laughs> so Petiot did Basically, this is the first man cave. Yes. Okay. It's a real weird one. Yeah. Uh, which they're all pretty weird. More like a manic cave, huh? Huh? I'm yeah. a good boy. Oh, I wish I had a cigar. So <laughs> yeah. uh, Petiot did not open the mental clinic. The townhouse was to serve another purpose. One March night in 1944, the Paris police would start to unravel what exactly Petiot had been up to since he had bought the townhouse back in October 1941. On that night, it was March 11th, a Saturday, neighbors had called police to the Rue Le Cire because for five days a foul smoke had been pouring from the townhouse's chimney. Two patrolmen and some firefighters entered the house through a ground floor window what they found at the house was beyond belief. Human remains were being incinerated in an old water boiler in the basement room. In the triangular room at the back of the property, they found more human remains being devoured in a pit filled with quicklime. Um, Le Affaire Petiot, the Petiot case, had begun. Leading had begun. Uh, leading it was Commissioner Georges Victor Massou, chief of the Paris Criminal Police, based at Number Thirty Six. Good Lord, what is this? Quad de Orfevre. Orfevre. I don't know how you say that. Orfevre. Are you having a stroke? I'm trying to Are read. Are you okay? I'm trying to read these weird letters. Okay. O-R-F-E-V-R-E-S. Orfevre. I think that's how you do it. That's it. Orfevre. He did it. Also known as the Quai. Just say that. Yeah. <laughs> but Petiot was on the run. So was Georgette Petiot. Oh. But she was arrested within days hiding out in Auxerre. Uh, Marcel is the most kind, loving husband, father, and doctor, she had told investigators. He could never, she said, have killed anyone. No. Not him. Not my Marcel. Uh, Petiot was to remain on the run for seven months. He laid low with a past acquaintance, who was a house painter, uh, a very gullible man, who believed that Petiot was a brave resistance hero and French patriot. (laughs) Over the seven months, the commissioner would hear of how a man had been visiting the uninhabited townhouse for the previous two years. This man had come to the house either on foot or on a green bike. On some of the days when he was on foot, he had brought other people with him. Those people had never been seen again. They must so have... maybe just stay at the townhouse for a little bit. I mean... <laughs> uh, they must, though, have stayed on at the house because noises had come from it. That's what the guy was saying. Like, well, yeah, we brought him there and they never left, but uh, they must have stayed there because... Yeah. Uh, we heard stuff. 
strange noises were happening, crying, banging. Uh, one night, a neighbor walking past the house after the nighttime curfew had already sounded, even heard a man's voice calling out. Just one word, help. Help. The man on the green bike was Dr. Marcel. That's the hardest thing to ask for sometimes. That is help. That's the hardest thing. Just, to, yeah. just, hey. I mean, you really have to, like, you, know, you got to belittle yourself a lot to ask for help. You got to really, think. you know, just, just give up your pride. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, help! I need somebody. So the who the fuck is this calling? <laughs> so, the man on the green bike was Doctor Marcel Pettiot. He was invariably described by his cronies, his parent, his patients, his wife and family as a respectable, respectable, respected, loving, kind, wonderful husband, father, and family physician, and totally innocent of the crimes <laughs> that he was being confused accused of. Uh. The story of Dr. Marcel Petiot's life and crimes that Masu was to put together chilled him and everyone else to the bone. Petiot, a poor man's son, craved wealth, wealth, and respectability. He believed that respectability was wealth's natural companion. Yeah. He'd already made a pretty packet from doing abortions and supplying drugs, but once the Germans had occupied Paris, he hit on the idea of pretending that he was a member of the French Resistance and that he could assist people to flee France. He would charge them charged him quite a bit actually he would also tell them to bring along whatever they had that was valuable gold jewels fur coats anything i'm sure people are desperate yeah i mean shit that way they would be able to set themselves up in the new country in their new home uh, argentina they would though be going nowhere (laughs) but only he would know that only he would know that he offered escape uh, that the escape route that he offered would begin and end at his townhouse. It was an idea, a plan he just knew would make him a wealthy man. Uh, he re- claimed his resistance was, his name was Dr. Eugene, and he headed a resistance cell code named Fly Talks. So he made up this whole bullshit story about he was going to, you know, yeah. he was a, res- a freedom fighter, basically. Help these people get away from the war, start a new life. Yeah. So, you know, hey, bring all your good shit with you. You're really taking advantage. (laughs) So his first victim was a Polish-born Jewish furrier, uh, which was his neighbor at a family apartment. His takings came to hundreds of thousands of uh, francs francs in cash. Yeah, I knew that. Several items of extremely expensive jewelry and three mink pelts. So easy was it to make so much money so rapidly that he told two of his cronies, a certain uh, Raoul Ferrier, which was a barber, and Edmund Pentard, an out-of-work cabaret singer, of the escape route. Uh, basically, he let them know because he asked them to send him clients. Uh-huh. Um, it's good to have cronies. He just wanted to know, hey, could you get, can you send me some people? Yeah. And they said, yeah, of course. Make sure they got money. Yeah. So they went out and became his recruiting agents. He handed a percentage, uh, a small one, of the fee that he charged the clients over to the two. Now, I don't know if they, so I don't know if this gets answered or not, but I don't know if they knew what he was doing. Yeah. They might have thought he was actually, that he actually was helping yeah. these people. Um, I mean, they are cronies, so they're not very smart. He started enlisting other recruitment agents as well. Uh, Irene Khan, a vivacious Romanian born woman. Um, Fourier and Pintard sent Pettyot gangsters and their moles, all Gestapo informers, but as scared of the Germans as any other Parisian. Uh, Khan sent him Jews, Jews that were desperate to get away from the Nazis. Uh, she was Jewish herself. 
she defiantly refused to wear the yellow star of David. So yeah, she, he's got three people just sending him victims. Uh-huh. His killing spree re- abruptly ended in May 1943, ten months before the discovery of the human remains at his townhouse. It ended because uh, Robert Yodkum, uh, who was with the Jewish Affairs Department of the Gestapo, had learned from an informer that Dr. Eugene was assisting people to flee from, fan- from France. The informer also knew of Furrier and Pintard and led the, just led the Gestapo to Furrier's barbershop. It was at the barbershop that Pettyot collected the victims to escort them to the townhouse. Uh, once the two cronies were arrested, they quickly revealed the true identity of Dr. Eugene, and Pettyot was arrested as well. The three were held for seven months at a prison south of Paris before they were released without charge. Uh... So why didn't they check the townhouse in those seven months? He said, like, it, he stopped killing people, and then it was ten months before they discovered the bodies there. The body. yeah. So they arrest them, but they don't check the place but, where yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, then, I don't understand. That's a lot of work. They, I mean, they held him for seven months. Yeah. And they just, le- like, release him. Yeah. So. Maybe go look for some evidence. Uh, but Maurice Pettiot had bribed uh, the Gestapo uh guy he bribed him to let uh marcel go maurice was marcel's brother um but it didn't matter for the other two they just let them go uh they were basically considered useless lowlifes so they were just like yeah get the fuck out of here on his release in february 1944 petri Petiot faced the task of cleaning up his townhouse the gestapo had tortured him yet he had not broken down to admitting running an escape route and neither had he revealed the existence of the townhouse. So apparently they just didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. So which I don't, I, you know, I can't believe the two crony guys didn't tell them all. Yeah. Time, but they just apparently didn't know about the townhouse. Yeah, they only true. knew about the... Uh, they knew what they needed to know. <laughs> as far as cleaning up was concerned, he had a willing assistant, his brother Maurice, who even supplied the quicklime. Maurice had been to the townhouse while the Gestapo was holding Dr. Pettiot and had come across the bodies. Um, ashen in the face and unable to keep his discovery to himself, he had told a mutual friend that bodies as black as the Black Plague were at his brother's house. Uh, his friend was shaking like a leaf in a strong wind, also passed the terrible news on, telling his girlfriend and the girlfriend's friend he had, uh, as he later told the police, the commissioner, even told Pettyot's wife, Georgette, that her husband was killing people, informing the commissioner that she had fainted three times while listening to him. Ooh. So basically everyone that finds out about this tells everybody so, Yeah. Else. Uh, Pettiot was arrested on the last day of October that year of 1944. Paris had been liberated in August, and the Germans had fled. Viva la France! As soon as firing had broken out in the capital, Pettiot had left his hideout and joined the French forces of of the interior, as the reconstructed French army was called, with false identity papers in the name of Dr. Henry Valéry. He was therefore arrested wearing the black armband of a French force of the interior fighter. Uh, the arrest was made by a fellow fighter. Ironically, the man was himself hiding out in the French forces of the interior under a false name huh. and would soon run after, make a run for it afterwards. So, yeah, he's... The dude, uh, the, <coughs> Petiot almost got away with all of this. There was a, another irony about his arrest. Uh, the commissioner was not the one... To actually handcuff Pettiot, uh, because the commissioner himself was under arrest. <laughs> he had been arrested on suspicion of having been a German collaborator 
It was said that he had deli- deliberately gone slow in his investigation of Petiot as instructed by the Gestapo. That charge was later dropped, but not before an indignant commissioner had tried to commit suicide by slashing his left Well, wrist. sure, because he's probably just killing Jewish people. I mean, yeah. he's trying to kill Jews or trying to get out, so they didn't care. Um, Petiot's interrogation lasted 11 months. Um, during the first nine months, he stuck to his claim that he was a resistant and that the cell of which he'd been the head had executed Germans and French collab- collab- collaborators. They were all bastards. They deserved what they got, he would say. For the last two months, he refused to reply to questions. On the first day of his silence, he told the examining magistrate that he would not be answering any further questions. And from then on, his reply was always only ditto. How many he had killed, how much money he had made out of his victims, indeed how he had killed them before, had, how he had killed them were therefore to remain a mystery. And it remains a mystery to this day. Hmm. The police and pathologists did, though, think that the most likely scenario was that he had first drugged his victims, then he dictated letters they had to write to their families and friends to announce their safe arrival in Argentina. Next, he'd probably given them another shot of some lethal substance, uh, and then let them decompose, burned them, put them in quicklime, and made it impossible to tell what, who anybody was. Yeah. But he also, sounds like he probably also tortured them. The police did not, however, even try to establish how much Petiot had made from his victims, Journalists, though, estimated the amount to be millions of francs. Uh, Georgette and Gerhardt had been ordered to pay um, 172,000 current dollars worth of francs restitution to the families of the victims. They paid only a fraction of this amount. After seven years, the families, not having claimed the money, lost their right to it. Uh. George and Gerhardt had left France soon after Dr. Petiot's death. They went Which to I'm sure s- she didn't have a lot of money after he right. was arrested and shit. I mean... Um, Having listened to the death sentence being pronounced without even blinking an eye, Pettyot spent his final weeks doing embroidery, <laughs> knitting, and reading. He'd been an avid reader since his youth. He read mainly about murder and murderers. <laughs> he also wrote a book. Uh, it was called Chance Defeated. It was about beating chance and winning at games like poker, yet he also philosophized in it. or philos- I think that's how you say that word. Uh, he wrote, Not one of all the creations is happy with its lot. The stone is sad thinking of the oak, which grows in the sun. The oak is sad when it thinks of the animals that it sees running in the shade of the woods. The animals are sad dreaming of the eagle soaring in the sky. And man is unhappy because he cannot understand why he's been put here. He is aware of all of his imperfections. Fuck. So, I mean, yeah, sure, the guy's a fucking lunatic and yeah, murderer, but, but he gets it. Damn, he can write. <laughs> he gets it. Uh, Georgette had the book printed in his handwritten form, and Petiot took great pride in autographing it for those who had gone to assist at his trial. The book was an instant bestseller. It was a long walk for Petiot from his cell to the guillotine. He was handcuffed, and his legs were in chains. Uh, that was how he was also. That's how he also had passed his nights in jail. The guillotine did not work swiftly and expertly. Doctor Albert Paul had to step up to Doctor Petiot's headless body, though as tradition demanded to announce him dead. Uh, Petiot's cronies, he had 11, Jesus, had been arrested, including Georgette and Maurice, uh, but they were not prosecuted. Ocean's 11. The, the, uh, the police concluded they had not known what Petiot was actually up to. Um, they had thought that the escape route was genuine. Yeah. Uh, all but Maurice had found a charge of receiving stolen property. Maurice had been charged with compl- complicity to murder and faced capital punishment. He was released because he was dying of stomach cancer, though. Uh, he died shortly after his brother had been guillotined. Um, 
asking the minutes before his neck was shaved in preparation for the guillotine's blow, whether he... Had, <laughs> he shaved his neck? Uh, yeah. Like, was that going to stop the blade or something? Maybe he has Like, we don't want it to hurt. Like, it's really going to hurt if he's got hair there and he has real it. thick hair. Yeah. Uh, so... They ask him if he like would never make it through yours. Your beard would block that blade. My beard would. Well, yeah. no, I guess they get through the back. Though. I got a thick neck too. I guess they get through the back. So yeah, I got I a big, thing. I got a thick neck though. So you do. They're gonna have to sharpen that thing up. Hell yeah. Uh, they ask him if he had anything to say. He said, "No, I am one traveler who's taking all his baggage with him." Um. So before he actually uh, uh, went on to be guillotined. His last few minutes, he he told everybody that was there, uh, "Don't look. This is not going to be pretty." <laughs> so he warned people. Uh, I've cut off a lot of heads. You do yeah. not want to see this. So, a lot of uh, some of the men on the on the prosecution team decided to call him Doctor Satan, um, and then the media followed that and called him the same thing. That's how he became known as Doctor Satan. Uh, on May 25th, 1946, it was a Saturday morning. He was 49 years old. Stood trial uh, for the 27 people is what they ended up wow. charging him with. He f- was found guilty of 26 of those. Um, but the police think that he murdered many, many more. Sure. Uh, they say that probably 200. Wow. The One of the investigators said that they'd settle for 150. Yeah. But they Talking figured, to the 11 cronies, they probably, the cronies probably know like, how many yeah. people they sent there to them. Um, Have a good idea, anyway, an estimation. As required by French law, on the opening morning of the trial, the judge who was, able, who was to preside over the proceedings uh, had confronted Petiot in the chamber. You are going to be tried for the premeditated assassination of 27 people. If you are found guilty, you will be executed by guillotine. Uh, not 27, Pettyot had replied, arrogance in his voice. I liquidated 63 persons, but all were enemies of France. Uh, the judge then said, very well, but we will start with 27, and the verdict may do for the others as well. Uh, whether he killed 26, 27, 63, 150, or 200 or more, uh, he holds the title, if title is the word, of France's most prolific murderer. How he had killed his victims, the police and pathologists had been unable to establish, but they had thought that after their deaths, he had decapitated them before he had cut off their limbs, uh, in a very skillful manner, though. So, you know, at least he was... Well, that's how they found, like, the people that they thought he killed before, right. was he would decapitate so, them, so, I mean, it would... Um, he would sever their heads from the body, and then he would cut away the eyebrows, the lips, and the ears, he would uh. disembowel the bodies... And then finally, he tried to get rid of them with fire and lime. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that is the story of Dr. Satan. Uh, I mean, right from the get-go, like, again, he's a kid. He's sticking needles in birds' eyes yep. to Torturing blind them if he's going to let them go. Torturing animals. Has black eyes. I bet he peed the bed. Well, they said he was incontinent. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. He was basically yeah, pissing Yeah, a lot of serial himself. killers pissed the bed, yeah. tortured animals. So... He uh he fit all which I don't I guess back then they wouldn't have really had that's not a thing yeah. they would have known about anyway yeah. so but yeah so uh, Doctor Satan f- real fucked up uh reminds me of uh H H Holmes yeah having kind of like His a little murder house there, yep. yeah uh huh real piece of shit 
Made for a very cool character, though, in House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, I don't understand how they go from, you know, Rob Zombie definitely took liberties with that. Oh, yeah, just yeah. a bit, yeah. He's like, I really like the name. Was there any clowns around for that, for this guy? Let's, let's put a clown in there. Maybe the uh, cronies were uh, were uh, the the family. Yeah. They've just been around forever. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's kind immortal. of the same thing. Instead of a barbershop, you would go to a... Uh, 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 the the tour, the mm-hmm. haunted house tour, haunted whatever house it was, thing. yeah, yeah. I'll have to watch that now. All right, well, so you said you found. I have a story that I cut out of the newspaper. It's not a feel good because fuck a feel good, right? We've established that, yeah. Before we went live to air, yeah. We're not gonna no no reason to even try to feel good no. tonight. Fuck a feel good. And so you... this is a story, and when I read this, I was like, wow, like, this is the most West Virginia thing ever. So next time anyone ever asks you what it's like to be from West Virginia, you can just read this story. And is this like a current? This is current, yes. Okay. This was in yesterday's paper. Okay. Um, the headline, police, Roan man beaten to death with leaf blower. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a drop, this is in Looneyville, of course West Virginia. <laughs> a dropped pig led to the murder of a Roan County man by means of a leaf blower last month. It always starts with a dropped pig. A dropped pig? Witnesses to the incident said uh, Mr. Bush, he's 26 years old, uh, yeah, he's 26, Looneyville, got into an altercation with William, another guy, I don't, want, I don't know, can I use, it's in the paper, sure. Yeah. So a guy named Andrew Bush killed a guy named William Greathouse after the two were trying to lift a pig inside of a cage into the bed of a truck. The cage fell to the ground, and after the man started fighting, Bush struck him in the head with the leaf blower, according to the criminal complaint. <laughs> they said Greyhouse. <laughs> the, the writing of this story is so awful. Greyhouse was found unconscious in the bed of the truck, and law enforcement noticed he was still unconscious. What? <laughs> I'll read that again. This is how it is in the paper. Greyhouse was found unconscious in the bed of the truck. And law enforcement noticed he was still unconscious, not breathing, and began to turn blue in the face and the hands. Like, how about do something? They're like, let's yeah. see where this goes. Well, let's see if he stays unconscious. <laughs> so he started turning blue in the face and the hands. Uh, the victim also had an obvious indentation in his forehead Jesus. and a small, orpe- a small open laceration, the complaint said. After the altercation, the complaint said Bush returned to his cabin and Greyhouse laid down in the bed of the truck and began to feel his head and went unconscious. Feeling kind of woozy. <laughs> when he was questioned, Bush claimed Greyhouse cursed at him and threatened him before Bush punched him in the face hard enough to knock his glasses off. Well, first off, you don't punch a man with glasses. <laughs> Greyhouse allegedly hit back, and then Bush said he got away. He picked up the leaf blower and he swung it while holding on to the plastic tube. So he hit him with like the engine, like the yeah. portion. I mean, those things can be the pretty big heavy. Heavy section, yeah. Bush said he hit Greyhouse in the head, and he said he was mad and felt like he wanted to hurt him. Greyhouse. Bush wanted to hurt Greyhouse. Maybe don't say that to the cops if you accidentally, in a yeah. fit of rage, kill a friend. Don't say you were wanting to hurt him. Right. He then said he was sorry for what he did, and that hitting Greyhouse with the leaf blower was too excessive. <laughs> so he was arrested. Now he's facing 10 to 40 years in prison. Should have just turned it on and, like, blew it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get away from me! He's facing how many? First, uh, 10 to 40 years. And he did, so the guy died. Yeah, he died. Okay, so he, he did dead. murder him. Yep. With a, with leaf, a leaf blower. Water. Uh-huh. And Looneyville. And Looneyville, West Virginia. After they dropped a pig. What the fuck? <laughs> and that's West Virginia. 
I mean, yeah, you don't want to drop a pig in West Virginia. No. It's going to lead to bad things. It's going to lead to an argument. That's. And this guy's happened to have a leaf blower in the back of his truck. I he mean, just picked yeah. it up and swung it at him. Like, Florida man gets a lot of attention. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. Like, West Virginia man's on the come well, up. West Virginia man. <laughs> I think West Virginia man does a good job of, uh, of, uh, the headlines stay like you got to look for them. Yeah, Florida man, everybody knows now. It's uh-huh. a funny thing, but I think West Virginia man, if you really dug into it, well, practically Florida, toe to toe. Yeah, like we could go <laughs> up against Florida man. Yeah, I dare you to find a story in Florida of a man beaten to death with a leaf blower. Yeah, they don't need leaf blowers down there. I don't oh, think. they don't. I don't think okay. they get a lot of leaves. Yeah, I guess it's pine trees and stuff, palm trees. Yeah, they'd be like beaten to death with like a. Uh, oh, I don't know. But look at the picture, too, of this guy in the paper. He's, like, smiling. Like, we don't know if you can post that or not, but he's 26 now. He killed a man with a leaf blower, and he's going to go to jail. Jesus. Yeah, I can post it. But that was my, it's not a feel good, but I just read and saw it, and I was like, we got to talk about that. I'm sorry for what I did. <laughs> he shouldn't have dropped my pig. Now, look, I agree. The leaf blower was a bit excessive. <laughs> I am sorry. But he dropped the goddamn pig. He dropped the pig. I'm looking for the part where it says he was found unconscious in the bed of the truck and law enforcement noticed he was still unconscious, <laughs> not breathing. And what does that even mean? That's good police work. We right found there. him unconscious and then we did quickly notice he, he was still unconscious. Yeah. So, you know, we he, was, put, he wasn't faking. We put two and two together there and we determined that he was unconscious. So he wasn't. Uh, just... And there was witnesses too. Like, how about you help these guys with the caged pig? Maybe it wouldn't fall. Maybe they wouldn't be fighting over it. Yeah. So we'll post. Uh, we'll post this story <laughs> on our Facebook. But that was in the local paper. I read that at work. And that I is definitely. Yeah, that is definitely. Here's how. <laughs> here's what. Yep. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well. Uh, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. I will be back next week with a new episode. Uh, let us know what you think of, uh, like, again, do you want more modern stuff, older stuff? What do you want? We'll come back soon with another Real Crimes. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, do the whole rating thing. Give us a movie you want a Real Crime Give about. Give us a movie. You... Uh, look for, on Spotify, again, look for uh, the polls and the Q&A stuff. Look for my poll. Look for Joel's poll. All right. Uh, Joel's polls. Joel's polls. Everybody loves a Joel's, Joel's poll. poll. Not everybody. <laughs> All right, until next time, thanks for listening, and we will see you later. I'm a good boy.